Hello, and once again, welcome to the Synergen Leadership Podcast. My name's Julian Carls, CEO and co-founder of Synergen Group. And today I speak with Gus Ceramidis, who is the CEO of Siri Services. Siri are a not-for-profit organization who run up in the Yarra Junction doing a lot of great work with uh, disadvantaged kids. So it's a particularly interesting uh, interview because Gus shares her journey about how she found herself uh, in the role, coming from a very strong recruitment background. But importantly, she talks about something which uh, personally resonates with me, which is the importance of authenticity and being true to yourself and not compromising on your own personal values as a leader. It's another great episode. Love to hear what you think. Happy listening. Welcome to the Synergen Leadership Podcast with Julian Carl. Julian speaks with leaders from around Australia to bring you their leadership story and share their insights about being a leader. To further help you build your leadership capability, Julian shares his own insights about leadership and the tools and techniques he uses as a leader. Well, welcome Gus to the, the Synergen Leadership Podcast. Really appreciate you taking the time to be a part of it so that the listeners have a little bit of insight into who you are and what you do. Can you share a little bit, a little bit about where you are now? Yeah, thank you and thank you for the opportunity. So I'm the CEO of Siri Services. We're in the Yarra Ranges region. We have four businesses or four components of our services. One of them is a community school for disengaged youth for years 7 to 12. We have two campuses in Yarra Junction and Mount Evelyn. We're an RTO, so a training organisation, and we operate at all various sites um, and now about to go to Lilydale as well, which is pretty exciting. We have children's services, so the whole spectrum around children's services from four-year-old kinder, vacation care, daycare, before and after school care. We also run a playgroup, Gumboots, a supportive playgroup that is um, gold coin donation for some of the families that are not able to afford playgroup, which is really good. And we've just reinvented our community house. So the organisation started as a community house so we're now moving out of about to move out of Yarra Junction to Lilydale, our corporate services, and we'll be giving the house back to the community. So that's pretty exciting for us. Maybe a little bit of a point of interest for the listeners. Uh, is there an interesting fact that they may not know about Siri if they just went to the website and had a look? We've been here for well over 35 years now and started as a tiny community house. We are now one of the largest not-for-profit employers in the in the Yarra Ranges, which is really exciting. And we currently serve over 2,000 clients. Yeah, so pretty big. All right, so I'd like to take you back, all the way back to that very first leadership role that you had. Are you able to share with the listeners what that was and, and a little bit around that? Yeah. I was 27 at the time, so quite a while ago, and it was for an organisation called Echo Personnel. It was recruitment, and um, I had worked as a contractor previously and enjoyed moving from from organisation to organisation, 
and was looking for something to do. My children were still young and part-time, so I decided to go full steam ahead and look at something that was able to offer me endless growth, it felt like, and started to look at recruitment. So did a, a part-time course or a, a distant learning course at the time and got my certificate back then. Um, it was pretty much the blind leading the blind because I didn't really know anything about recruitment, so big learning curve. And then started with a very small agency. Uh, I naively thought that people would hire someone part-time and um, it would work for recruitment, uh, uh, but learnt the hard way. I actually did it more on a voluntary basis and decided to start with commission only. Yeah, so that, that was in itself a huge learning curve. I worked with this organisation just for a short period, but then realised that it wasn't going to really be the right place for me to take my career forward. Then Echo Personnel advertised that they needed someone to start a new office in Box Hill, so that's where I was. And I applied for the position, going into town for, was successful obviously, then spent a few months in town establishing the business. So totally from scratch, pretty much back then it was a phone book, um, a telephone and a box of cards that you were going to put all your potential clients or your future clients on. Mm. So within six months, we had established the office in Box Hill and uh, that was my first appointment of managing. And how many people reported to you in that role? It was four, only four people. So small office, suburban office. Um, very competitive though, was competing with a lot of recruitment agencies that have been there, including the one that I used to work for as a contractor. Okay. Yeah, so so small. Okay. And were there any big uh, mistakes that you, when you reflect, you think, mm -hmm. oh, we've done that differently? Yeah, lots of mistakes. Um, lots of mistakes, lots of learning. One of the major, if I reflect back, one of the things that um, really resonates is that I thought that, that managing was quite easy. You know, I just needed to go in there and pretty much tell people what to do and they would listen. And I also thought that people had the same drive or goals that I did. And I learned pretty quickly that firstly, managing was definitely not about telling people what to do and that people were different and that it took the diversity and the strengths of all the skills that we had as a team to actually create a really good team and one that was going to be successful. And any really big successes which stand out for you in the role? Yes, um, we achieved what was probably, I would say, not in the scope at the time. We, within about 12 months, we created an office that became one of the most successful recruitment agencies in the area. And we had a lot of really good clients like Hewlett Packard, Coles Meyer, Victorian Workcover, Glaxo, Smith Klein, NEC. So for myself, I probably accomplished things that I didn't even know I was capable of. So it was like 
the sky's the limit there because it could grow as much as we wanted it to grow. That's a nice client list to have. Mm. Yeah, very nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and do you think it was during this that role that you decided this idea of being a leader was for you? Yes, but I also went through a period of maybe I can just consult and and I don't have to worry about people around me. But I, yes, it is the time that I thought because I actually enjoyed watching people achieve what they were aspiring to achieve and building a team on integrity and respect and trust and knew that if we had those fundamentals and that basis that we could take this a very long way. And what impacts do you think you had on the people that reported to you in in that role? Some of them, if I went back and asked them now, I, I think some of it, hopefully most of it was really positive and enabled people to reach their potential and do things that they wanted to do or even things that they thought were they couldn't do, you know, so, you know, fulfil what they wanted to. I would also say that in some cases where people weren't going to, didn't succeed in the role, that I actually enabled them to move into something that was more suited to them. So the honest feedback that a lot of people had said to me they hadn't received in the past, so making sure that they were sitting where they needed to to pursue their lifelong journey as well. And how long were you in that role? I was with Echo Personnel for about four years. So moved from managing a branch in Box Hill to area manager. So looked after Box Hill, Moorabbin, and then a newly appointed office in Glen Waverley. So I was able to do two startups, which was really, really good, a lot of good experience. Yeah, so, you know, empty office, desks, yeah, and people. <laughs> and why did you decide to leave Echo Personnel? An opportunity came up with gentleman that was involved in training. So he did a lot of the training around Colesmire and some of those um, bigger corporates. It happened through um, school acquaintances. So I met with this guy um, and decided that that was maybe something that I needed to look at. Echo was also going through transformation. They were about to sell their business so it was a husband and wife team that owned echo personnel they were about to go through a sale for again called echo in france so coincidentally with the name and i thought that perhaps it was time for me now to to look at something different and i was really interested in training okay so can you give a little bit of scope about what that role was yep so that role was about uh predominantly setting up new clients for training and looking at opportunities. It was a it was a role that required me to set up my own organisation. So I was contracting, so I set up my own consultancy called AAS Consulting. Because I had the recruitment background, it wasn't long before we decided that we should look at recruitment as well. So one thing fell into another. So from that, we created a new recruitment organisation as well called Madden Consulting. And 
mix the two together, so did the recruitment and the training. We started the business from scratch, as I said. We then moved into offices, I think, probably a few months into the operation and serviced predominantly the eastern suburbs. Okay. And because of your previous leadership experience, do you think you found it easier to do at that time? I found it easier to do. However, um, in that role, you asked before, Julian, about when did you think leadership was for me. Now on reflection, it was probably when I did this this work. So when I started at Madden Consulting, I was one of the consultants, one of the key consultants. We then brought in some other consultants as contractors as well. So we were all working together. And then we developed the administration and, and the back, back of house that we needed to make the organisation work. So there was another reporter, uh, sorry, another director that came into the picture as well. And so we reported to the two directors. So the three key, the three key consultants um, were all on par, so we worked together. It was then that I realised that I missed the leadership side of things and I missed being able to create a team and I missed that the cohesiveness and what you can do through leading a really effective team and the amount of work that can come out of that too, or the positiveness that can come out of that. So I did that for about 18 months and then decided that I wanted to go back into recruitment full-time and to, to lead. Okay. And where did you end up then? What sort of size team did you end up leading? So I then went to Interstaffing Services. So the owners of the then ECHO personnel were the Interstaffing Services. <laughs> so, yeah, so uh, predominantly I worked for the same people for 10 years with the 18-month gap and was going to start a new office in Box Hill. So back to my old stomping ground, I suppose. And then from there moved into other various roles, which I'm happy to share, but really went back to interstaffing and started an agency in Box Hill again. Okay. Yeah. So I'd like to fast forward to your, your, mm-hmm. your current role. So CEO of Series Services, mm-hmm. what exactly does that mean in terms of direct reports, responsibilities, yeah. size of the organisation, things like that? Yeah. The size of the organisation, we have about 170 employees, probably around 90 equivalent full-time. We have the four services that I've described. We are a $10 million turnover organisation, so relatively large for a community-based organisation. I have seven direct reports. And I've been here for three and a half years now. Okay. And what are some of the things you're learning about yourself as a leader now in this CEO role? Lots and lots. (laughs) Um, (laughs) One of the things that that I learnt years ago, and I'm still still learning, but have understood a lot better, is that it does take a team of very very diverse people and very diverse strengths to actually make an organisation really successful and to be able to take it on its journey. So it's not about me knowing everything or having everything or having all the answers. It's about 
having a team of experts, I would say, around me as part of the executive leadership team that can actually strengthen, offer strengths where my, my weaknesses are, vice versa, we can learn from each other, but also bring in the expertise of each business unit because having four businesses is quite complex and quite detailed. So we need experts in each of those fields to make sure that this is that we're successful and we can move forward. You mentioned the importance of team and strengths and weaknesses. Mm-hmm. What would you just say some of your strengths are? Communication would be one of them. The ability to take people on a journey and that's through transparency, a consultative approach that I like using. So it's not about me making all the decisions. I understand as the CEO that I need to make, in most cases, the final decision, but that needs to go through a process. So I think the empowering people is really critical and allowing people to have a voice. That's that's really important, yeah. So I'd like to explore some of your views on leadership. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what do you think is the biggest myth about leadership that you've come across during your travels? that you're there to actually tell people what to do and <laughs> and you're the boss of everyone and really, um, you know, you can just have this huge ego that makes you, you know, that makes you different to everyone else. That's definitely a myth. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So how would you describe yourself as a leader? Inspirational, firm but fair. Compassionate, transparent, and authentic. Do you think those those traits allow you to get the most out of not only your executive leadership team but the the broader organisation? There's 170 odd people. Yes, I do. Yeah. I do. Yeah. Um, it's not just one of those that's required. I think it's a mix of all of them and lots of other skills as well. But yes, and I think tenacity is really important and the ability to reflect each day on decisions that I've had to make. And that could be through, you know, introspection of of an evening and looking at what's gone on in the day. What decisions have I had to make? Who have I been able to empower? What impact, what impacts have I had on people? What does, you know, my decisions do have impacts on individual people and that can be very challenging and that can also be very emotional. So to make sure that I have checks and balances in place on the way that I've operated through that day, I am required to make lots of difficult decisions and at times that affect individuals and their families. However, what's important for me is that whilst that's part of my job is to make sure that I've done that the best possible way and the most humane way and as honest, very honest. I think it's because of the work that we do as a training organisation at Synergen that we train in, in leadership. I'm always curious when I get to ask leaders about any particular methodologies, frameworks, tools that they use, are there any which you use as part of your arsenal as a, as a CEO? One of them, transparency is really important to me. 
especially in some of the roles that I've held, have involved um, change management, quite heavy change management. You know, um, in one organisation, there was a 90% turnover of staff, which is massive. So when you're going to do something like that and you've had five other managers previous to you and have not survived, it's, it's pretty tough. So I've realised that or learnt that transparency is really important. Um, people, people often say that they want honesty and they want you to be upfront with them. It doesn't quite work that way when you're doing it though. So where I, where I think that transparency is important is that if you take, if you explain to people why it is that you've made a decision or why it is that the organisation is heading down a particular path, then at least you've, you've given them the background and you've hopefully given them an opportunity to look, reflect on you know, on how they are feeling at the time, but also understand why you've had to make that decision. So transparency doesn't always mean breaking confidentiality or telling them things that, you know, perhaps I can't share with people, but trying to make them understand why decisions are being made. I also think that empowering people is really important. Empowerment leads to a whole lot of things, you know, and the first one it does is develops, develop one's confidence and I think that's really critical. If people are not feeling confident in their role or in their day-to-day -day operating, then I don't believe we get the best out of those people. So I think developing people's confidence, empowering them is huge. And I also think it's important to make sure that people are in the right role. It's no use trying to put people into a role that really doesn't fit for them or doesn't work for them. And I think the sooner I recognise that, um, the better it is for not only the organisation and myself, but also for that individual person. What would you say your biggest leadership challenge is right now? Right now, as in right now? <laughs> <laughs> The challenge is we've done some massive stuff. Um, when I say stuff, I mean this organisation has done huge change in the past three years. And the, the organisation is, and I use the word unrecognisable because it's not in its people, but I would say is almost unrecognisable to what it was three years ago. It needed to change from a lot of perspectives but one of the main one was the financial aspect so that's massive and in order to do a turnaround financially that creates a whole lot of other challenges in, in an organisation including things like restructuring um, which leads to redundancies so we've been through that journey and we've come out at the other end really well and everyone has worked really hard to get here. I would say now one of the biggest challenges is to sustain what we have. So that's important. It's very easy when you've done that change to think, okay, well, it's all right, we're here now and, you know, the rest of it's going to be pretty smooth sailing. No, to create a change is one thing, but to sustain change and to move forward and make this into the best possible organisation 
would be would be my challenge now to make sure that I don't lose sight of where we are and who we are. How do you describe your or how do you measure your success as a leader? Is it through that financial turnaround? Is it through the idea that you've been able to implement this change? Mm. It it would be through various things and some of the things that you're that well the things that you've mentioned. Um, but one of the biggest things for me, Julian, is I measure my success on the organisation reaching where it can through my leadership, but also through people getting to where they want to, so achieving their aspirations. So if people are doing well in their roles and they're kicking goals, I would say, and in a lot of cases above and beyond what they even thought they were capable of, that's when I can say that, yeah, that, that's a really good place to be as a leader and that's important. That's a perfect segue into my, my next question, which is how do you, how do you build uh, capability within your leaders and, and the people that uh, work in Siri? By having the right people on board, first of all, and that goes back to a very rigorous recruitment process and trying to look for the best cultural fit. So culture is really critical to me. So yes, we need skills and we need expertise, but if we don't have the right the right culture or the people that can actually align themselves to our values, then that's never going to work. So for me, values, you know, based on that integrity, respect, the trust are really, really important. And I could interview two or three people and they, one may actually have a better skill set or may be able to get the business up and running a little bit quicker because of proven results. But if they're not the right cultural fit, I, I won't even go there. I won't even consider it. So, so I would say values, yeah, are really important. I imagine your recruitment background would very much <laughs> assist you in that, in, in recruiting for values over skill. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. Because through I've, I've been fortunate to also spend two years on site at Hewlett-Packard, so um, looking at their procurement model and working um, across various disciplines, so that was really good. But it it has there. I did recruitment for about 18 years, so long time in um, lots of various roles. And it's, it's an interesting process. And I don't, I don't know that still in today's world, we treat recruitment or the process as important as what it is. It's actually fundamental in creating the right organisation. Yeah, you got to get the right people in. Exactly. Or else they're just not going to, they yeah. cause more damage than yeah. Good. yeah. And also what's important is that if the person, because we all make mistakes and I've made heaps of mistakes, so if we recruit someone or if I recruit someone that I don't think is going to work out, to be honest and upfront about that earlier on in the piece and to not let the person actually go through that journey for the sake of it, you know, and then at the last 11th hour say to them, oh, look, sorry, this isn't going to work out. So, you know, that's really important as well. I would imagine that networking would be a major part of, of your role, which is, is interesting because a lot of the leaders that I work with don't necessarily see networking as a major part of their role. Uh, how do you go about networking? Right. I think that's a part of my life. I don't think just my <laughs> role. Uh, putting myself out there to do recruitment, you know, some 
35 odd years ago now, I have to think, a um, long time ago, really taught me about networking very, very quickly because it was pretty much sink or swim in recruitment. But it wasn't about um, just being a salesperson. And when I say a salesperson, that's not to say anything about sales because sales for me is fundamental in all our roles that we have. It, it's it's really important and it's probably the basis of being able to form successful um, organisations. So I learnt very quickly in the piece that if I couldn't network and didn't have the ability to network and didn't think networking was important that I wouldn't I wouldn't have survived in recruitment. So that was a huge lesson and I was fortunate enough through my sales to also learn a process around sales which was really important so I had very good training earlier on in the piece. Networking though takes this to a totally different level. Networking creates opportunities. Networking can be the make or break of some of those opportunities. So if you're not, if I'm not networking and I'm not out there making sure that I'm connecting with new people, but also like-minded people. So for me, networking is about working with people that are like-minded, people that share the same values, and also understanding that network is critical to the success of an organisation because as series services today, we wouldn't be where we are today if these key stakeholders that I've developed relationships with weren't involved in our journey. We just wouldn't be nowhere near where we are today. So it's about putting myself out there, sometimes out of my comfort zone because networking creates that, but also embracing every opportunity and opportunities like I have today to share my journey with you. So this is this is really important and it, it's good. People that obviously know me know how passionate I am about mentoring. Mm -hmm. uh, what's your views on mentoring? Are you a mentor? Do you have a mentor? I don't have a mentor right now, but I have had mentors. I think, so if I talk about the importance of a mentor, I think it's, it's really important. And quite often a mentor can stabilise what you're going through. And when I mean stabilise, I don't mean that you're you know, off the platter or anything, but actually bring you back to reality and make you understand where you're at, why you're going through that, and also provide you with the feedback and the guidance and the learnings that you need to be able to work through it and go through that and then become better at what you're doing. Learning for me isn't an every day or an every hour thing. There's no stopping in learning for me. I think learning's incredible. I'd like to think that I'm learning till the day that I that I leave. Uh, not Siri, but leave, leave. Um, but yeah, it's it's really important. So I've mentored people as well, and I've been asked to be a mentor, and that's that for me is a privilege to be able to mentor someone. And I also think that even if you can impact on that person's journey slightly, that that that's the role of a mentor, you know, that, you, that you've done. Yeah, and I think life is a journey, you know, and I believe that we will have various mentors and I believe that sometimes I'll be through work but 
they'll also be personal mentors and I've definitely had heaps of those. Right, so I'd like to explore the future a little bit. Uh, what, what does the future hold for you? Are there any specific career goals that you're looking to achieve? Good question. Uh, right now I'm really enjoying what I'm doing at Siri and there's still a lot of work to be done. So I've not quite looked at that far into the future, but I also am a big believer that life is full of opportunities and my next opportunity may be around the corner and sometimes something that I hadn't even envisaged or thought of. So I would like to think that I'm doing something for many, many years to come. That may not be in the form of paid work. It might be voluntary work. It may be something else. I would like to get involved with, I've been on board, so I would like to look at that again as well as part of my future. But for the moment, I'm really enjoying what I'm doing. I also think there's a lot of work still to be done here. So, yeah. And uh, how do you continue your development? So you mentioned uh, just before we were we were started recording the interview that you, you did a little course uh, yeah. last week. How do you always make sure that, because you know, I know that a lot of times CEOs become very time poor. Yeah. So they have less opportunity to focus on their own development. Mm. How do you sort of make time for that? Yeah, really good question because I just met the last three days, including Saturday and Sunday, <laughs> in a very, very intense course through Speakers Institute around storytelling. And as we were talking before, Julie, and it was quite very confrontational, um, really putting myself out there. And it was when I first looked at the course, it was about developing more confidence in storytelling and being able to take people on a journey and the importance that if you didn't engage with people or people weren't engaged with me really, then the story was never going to happen or the journey was never going to happen. So this was an intense three 12 to 13 hour days um, locked behind closed doors, totally taken out of my comfort zone and the, the guy that runs Speaker Institute, Sam Cawthonac, talked about transformation. And on day one, I thought, oh, yeah, okay, like you're really going to transform us you know, <laughs> and we're going to create and we're going to be something different on the third day. When I was on the plane late Sunday evening, I was able to reflect on the three days and now having been through the three days and survived them, thought, you know, I don't know that I'd use the word transformation, but I would definitely, definitely use the word shift. I shifted in so many ways. I was able to meet the most incredible 60-odd people and learn so much about myself and also, I think, capability, you know, my capability to be able to then take Siri on its next journey. So my decision to put myself on this, so it was part of my professional development in my role. And you talked about time poor. Time poor, it is true. In these roles, you're always time poor. But it's also valuable to give up time, your own time, to learn and to become a better person, a better human being, and to become better at what I do. So, yeah. So I see it as an investment. What goals have you set for Siri for the coming coming years? Really good question. Um, <laughs> lots of goals. 
One, first of all, is to remain viable. And I know I mentioned that earlier on, but the the viability, the viability of the organisation is critical because without the viability and sustainability of we can't really do anything else. So we can have all these wonderful ideas and wonderful goals, but we won't we won't establish those if we're not viable. So that's really important, and that's really measuring where our next step is. It's also we're highly government funded. And there's always a risk there because the government is always shifting the goalpost. And I don't think that's ever going to change, no matter what political party's in. And um, that's something that I need to be aware of all the time. Even the funding that we're reliant on year to year actually changes year to year and is challenged year to year. So it's about finding ways to complement that funding so one of the things that we're looking at now, in particular through our training organisation, is other ways to bring in revenue that isn't reliant on government funding. We have the government funding, which is also a big part of what we do. However, if we don't reach beyond that and we don't look for other opportunities outside of that, then I'm really not taking that risk that sits at Siri away, or I'm not minimising that risk. I'm just leaving it there and saying, it'll be fine, you know, we'll keep getting this money, it'll be reoccurring. Well, it doesn't work like that. And we've seen lots of organisations that have not survived because of that and, and that awareness of knowing how to shift the goalpost. So the, um, and to really get better at what we do, we're about to grow the school a little bit, which is pretty exciting. But it, that takes a lot of research, it takes a lot of work, it takes a lot of making mistakes in what we've done and failing in what we thought was the right way forward and being able to change the goalposts. I think that's really important. So, yeah, there's, yeah, I can't, you know, I, I wouldn't be able to say to you, well, we definitely want to be here and we definitely want to be doing this in two years' time. One of our goals was, though, to move to another site in Lily, and, and we said Lilydale, and we've achieved that. So we're about to open our new office there. So that's that's a pretty big shift for us and, and a really great shift for us because that will enable us to have a lot more exposure and be more central. So we will still offer all the services that we do but hopefully can expand on that. And what challenges do you think Siri is going to face outside of government funding? Are there any particular industry challenges that you think may hit one of your four business units more than the other? Yeah, I think the RTO is always a challenging. <laughs> <laughs> Something I know all too well. Yeah, um, I've been involved in RTOs before, and I think that that is one of the most vulnerable areas. The goalpost seems to change all the time. And just where you think you've got it right or you think that you're doing really well with it, then they introduce something else or yeah. another change. Yes. Or they, they cap placements, yeah. you know. Um, or they offer TAFE free, yes, free yes, diplomas yes, if you do a course at a TAFE. That's going to be interesting for us because we've got a TAFE right near us. <laughs> um, so I would say that if, you, if I was to single one out, I would say that the RTO is probably the most vulnerable in all of our services. Mm. And do you think you're well placed to deal with that? Yes. 
Yes, I do. Uh, it's. I think it goes back to what I said before. It's about understanding the changes that are embarking on us, understanding the risks to our business, not resting on our laurels and saying, oh, look, it's okay, we'll just wait to what the government decides, decides to do and we'll be fine, we'll just be able to manage it when it happens. No, it won't be like that. So the minute we find out that there are potential changes, I need to be on top of that and I need to make sure that I'm out there finding out exactly what those changes mean to our organisation, providing our peak bodies with the information that they need to do their lobbying, um, being politically aware, astute of what's happening in the industry and making sure that I can influence as much as possible what's required in the sector. Yeah. And one, one of them is the tape that, that you just mentioned before. That's huge for us. You know, so we can sit there and panic about what's going to happen or we can actually start looking at our business right now and saying, okay, well, if this happens, well, it is going to happen. Um, what does this mean for Siri? What does it mean for our people? And what types of people do we service and what's important in the service that we provide as opposed to what a TAFE provides? Are there any leaders that you either look up to or that inspire you? Yeah, there are, there are lots of leaders and without naming these people, it would be the people that have actually started from scratch but with very little education and, you know, might have even failed during secondary school, might have even left school at 15 or 16 and didn't even know what they were capable of. And um, there's a few around, I forget the gentleman's name, that had the stores, the, the um, phone, you know. The, Crazy Johns? Yeah, Crazy Johns, thank you, yes, yeah. that passed away yes. a few years ago suddenly. Um, I was reading his story one day and I thought, you know, that was someone that really took, took a dream to somewhere that I don't even know whether he recognised at the time how big it could be. But there are lots of other leaders like him. So there's that, that group of leaders that I think through, um, you know, Julian, a lot around emotional intelligence because we've just done something around that. That for me is that emotional intelligence and tapping into that side of yourself and believing in yourself as well. Then I'll go to people like, um, you know, the Dalai Lama who brings a lot of peace and harmony, the spiritual world. So there's those types of leaders as well. But if you said to me, is there one particular person, I, I wouldn't be able to tell you just one person because I actually am inspired by lots of various leaders and for, and for various reasons, you know. So it could be learnings that I have from a career perspective, it could be learnings that I have in this spiritual world. Yeah. Uh, so if people want to find out more about you and about Siri, where should they go? Onto our website. And any last words on leadership? Be authentic. Yeah. Authenticity is really important. Be transparent. Be willing to take on any feedback. In all, in all shapes and sizes. And when people are 
are offering you advice or support, actually hear what people are saying and take it on board and process it and work out what it is that you need to do to keep moving forward. But authenticity is really important for me and being true to oneself, so that's important to me. And also operating, so operating within my values is totally, totally not negotiable, so yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Gas, for being part of the podcast. All the best. Thank you so much. Thank you for the opportunity. I really appreciate it. Well, that wraps up another episode of the Synergy and Leadership Podcast. I trust you found it interesting. A couple of things. If you could go online and leave a review of the podcast, that would be great. Really help us in uh, spreading awareness of the podcast. Happy for you to connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm pretty easy to find. And if you want to shoot me through an email, julian at synergygroup.com.au. See you next time.